0: grace to you and peace from god our father our lord and savior jesus christ and the holy spirit who brings us great comfort Hallelujah. christ is risen he is, he is risen indeed alleluia uh, what a wonderful day to gather together uh, as we sang the the great hymn of martin luther dear christians one and all rejoice uh, and it's a very fitting and appropriate hymn to sing today this sunday after easter has traditionally been given the name cantate sunday uh, cantante, cantate is the Latin word for sing, right? Uh, and as we, we sing in this different environment today, uh, we sing a new song to the Lord. That's what our intro it tells us. Sing to the Lord a new song. For he has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. And all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, break forth into joyous song, and sing praises. Christians sing. Uh, It's one of the things that we do. When Christians sing, they do not sing aimlessly, they sing about the deeds of God. They praise Him for working out our salvation and this is what we're called to sing about this is called what we're called to teach this is what we're called to preach this is what we're called to live in this is how we ought to judge what music is good for the christian church to sing and what music is not as good for the christian church to sing we ask how well does this song extol and exalt the deeds of god in other words we ask whether this hymn talks about jesus or does it talk about me? Is it specific in declaring what Jesus has done for me, or does it bury the message of Christ crucified under a catchy offbeat or a personal message? Does it proclaim the mighty work of the cross and the empty tomb which forgives sinners, or does it declare emotions, mysticism, or personal feelings about God? And most importantly, does the music we sing about align with the sacred scriptures which are given to us by the Holy Spirit? Or does it reflect the rebellious spirit of this age? These are the things we ask ourselves when choosing what song to sing as God's holy Christian church. The form and the content of our Christian music matter. And this is more than just about music, though. It has to do with the whole entirety of our Christian life. The new song that we sing goes over and beyond the church music that we have, and it echoes into every aspect of our lives. The new song that we sing is the song of the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ is the assurance that Christ has died and risen for sinners, and that means Christ has died and risen for me. It is the promise promise given by God that we have been justified by the mighty actions of Jesus. And that means that our sins have been crucified with him and the righteousness that he has has been given to us as a gift from God. The new song that we sing is the life of faith that clings to Jesus, clings to his gospel of forgiveness, the justification that has been won for us by Jesus Christ alone. It is the life that acknowledges that we have been bought for a price that we no longer belong to ourselves. We no longer belong to our sin. We belong to Jesus. And living by faith in the gospel means that we live in continual repentance. Saint Paul describes this in Ephesians chapter four. He says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you may no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of your minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that dwells in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, to greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupted through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You see that we sing a new song to the Lord by casting off the old self and putting on the new self, namely putting on Christ. And that means that we cast off the works of darkness that belong to unbelief, and we cling to Jesus. And that is what Jesus is talking to his disciples about in our gospel lesson today. He's talking about how we are made to see him through the work of his Holy Spirit. As Jesus promises that he's going to send his spirit into the world, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away... My helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, and concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. But I still have many things to say to you. You cannot bear them now, but when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all the truth. For he will speak not of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will then speak. And he will give to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is a wonderful message for us to hear as Jesus proclaims that our helper will come. The word helper here is from the Greek word paraclete. And this is the word that is just absolutely pregnant with meaning in the New Testament. It can mean advocate, intercessor, comforter, right? It can mean a lot of things, but our reading uses the word helper. And Jesus tells us exactly what that helper is going to do. He's going to, A, convict the world, and then he's going to guide us in the truth of the glory of Christ. That is the work of the Holy Spirit, The divine and heavenly aid that Jesus sends to us is his spirit. The spirit shows us our sin. He convicts the world. He convicts our hearts. And he opens our eyes to our savior. The Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And that means that he will rebuke and admonish us concerning these things. He rebukes us concerning our sin we live in a world that loves to punish and point out sins of all sorts. Some of those are real sins against God. Some of them are imaginary sins that we invent on our own. But often when the the world rebukes a person over sin, it flows from others trying to prove their own righteousness. And this has only intensified over these past few years with every person shaming the sins of their opponents and turning a blind eye to their own faults and the sins committed on their own side of the argument. This is the root of all virtue signaling and cancellation of other people. It's not because people believe in justice and desire that sin would be suppressed and punished. No, it's all about comparing our sins to the sins of others in order to make ourselves feel better, so that we don't look as bad. We point out the faults of others to to make ourselves look good and everyone else look bad so that we feel like we're righteous in ourselves. But the Holy Spirit doesn't do this. He is holy. Rather, he breaks through this lie of comparing sins and he reveals the truth to us. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Oh, poor kid. And he brings to light the word of Isaiah, which says all flesh is grass and all its beauty is like a flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. And surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. You see, the spirit's vision is not obscured by our rationalizations and comparisons. He sees through all of our attempts to make our sins look small, and our neighbor's sins look big. He reveals to us our sin, which leads to death and damnation, and he cuts to the heart of it all. He attacks the root of all sin, which is actually unbelief. That's what the first sin and the original sin was, that sin that lives within inside of us. It was Adam and Eve's unbelief. They did not believe the word that God had spoken when he said, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will die. You see, they believed the lie that the devil asserted when he says, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And they ate the fruit. They fell into sin, and eventually, after a long life, they died. You see, it was that sin of unbelief. That's where all sin comes from. The world can only see the outward sins. The world can only try to fix outward sins. They can pass laws, and they think if they do that, it will fix things. If they just do this, if they just do that, they set one policy or make one plan, then all the sins will go away. If we have a conservative president, the sin will go away. If we forgive student loan debt, sin will go away. If we just send more money into education, sin will go away. If we pass this law or that law, sin will be abolished and we'll live in a practical utopia. Ah, how nice it would be. But none of it really truly fixes anything. It's like a doctor trying to treat the symptoms but cannot cure the disease. The root and source of all sin dwells in the heart that disbelieves God's word. The unbelieving heart must be put to an end. It must be put to death so that a new heart can be created in its place. And that is why the church prays along with King David and we'll sing in a few minutes, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast not me away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of their salvation and uphold with me a willing spirit. We sing this, we pray this, And the Bible teaches us to pray this is because we need the Spirit of God to create new hearts within us. We need the Spirit of God to create and implant in our hearts true living and saving faith. We need him to convict us of our sin and to show us our Savior so that we are made to repent and believe in the gospel. The Spirit of God also teaches us that we cannot signal our virtue. And cancel our neighbor in order to atone for ourselves. We cannot legislate ourselves into righteousness, and we also cannot believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who redeems us by atoning for our sins through his death on the cross on our own. Because we are so thoroughly blinded by our corrupted and sinful heart and the lies that we tell ourselves to prove that we are, some way, on our own, by our own power, good. We need the Holy Spirit. To reveal to us both our grave and desperate need for a savior and the great and beautiful work that our savior does for us we need the holy spirit to give us faith in the gospel because the gospel of jesus dying and rising for sinners is the only thing that saves and jesus gives us that faith the spirit works that faith in us by rebuking and admonishing the world concerning righteousness You see, once again, this is not the world's made-up version of righteousness that works by proving that we're not as bad as those people we see on the news, right? Rather, the Spirit is all about our righteousness before God. Jesus is the only one who has ever been without sin. He's the only person who was born not under the curse of Adam and Eve. He's the only person ever born that does not violate the word of God. He has perfect faith. He is the perfect man, yet this perfect man dies the death of sinners. Jesus has died, risen, ascended to his father, and has regained for us what Adam lost. He suffered death and gave himself entirely over to the consequences of our sin. He became sin for us, for our sake. He suffered and died to restore to us the righteousness that Adam lost when he fell into sin. You see, true righteousness only comes through the death and resurrection of Jesus, and so the Holy Spirit must convict the world over this as people are so consumed with their own dead works. As they strive to live under the false gospel of public opinion or personal respectability, the Spirit convicts them by showing them the only true righteousness that avails to eternal salvation is Jesus Christ alone. As the world looks to the Christian faith, they'll look and say, well, that doesn't do anything. You have to do things. But the Spirit reveals the truth. You see, the world would look at us, they'd look at the death of Jesus, and they'd say, well, that's just a meaningless death. Lots of people have died. They would look at us, and they would have us look at baptism, the Lord's Supper, the preaching of the gospel, and say, that's just a bunch of empty ritual. It doesn't do anything. They will say, you really believe all that mumbo-jumbo. And they will call our faith problematic and a hindrance to their overall message of social justice or cultural reform. And they will say, it is ignorance and superstition. But the Spirit convicts the heart and creates saving faith in the gospel so that we are not left to dwell in the darkness of unbelief. He points us to Jesus, who now sits at the right hand of the Father, and he says, there and there alone sits your your righteousness. Believe in him. Look to him. Do not look within yourself. Do not look within your own good deeds. Don't look within your own personal idea of what righteousness is. Look to Jesus. Jesus Christ alone is your righteousness. And finally, the Spirit of God reproves the world concerning judgment. And here Jesus isn't talking about worldly judgment. Worldly judgment is all about civil righteousness. It's about laws that man put together and adjudicates as best as they can. Both civil laws and cultural laws exist in this world, and these laws tell us what is acceptable to say and to do and to practice. They demand that we live in a way that displays our acceptance of these laws, and we obey them and we shame those who disobey them. That's how culture works. Rather, Jesus is speaking about spiritual judgment that has to do with the soul and the conscience. As God promised that the serpent's head would be crushed, the devil is condemned by Christ for his evil deeds. As the ruler of this world is judged, so is all sin judged with him. As he is the father of lies, as he is the father of unbelief, as he is the father of unrighteousness, Jesus stands in judgment. And he sends his spirit to declare declare his judgment over all the works that flow from the serpent. The verdict has been rendered. And now the Spirit of God goes about the work of making that verdict known. He proclaims what God has done to sin. He proclaims how God has defeated Satan. He proclaims the forgiveness of sins. The devil and those who adhere and cling to his lies... And all the sin that flows from them are judged and sentence has been declared, God has done it. And the last day will come. Satan will be thrown into eternal hell along with all those who reject this verdict from God and dwell continually in unbelief. Some do. This is the greatest tragedy that exists in this world, that there are those who are so hardened by sin and unbelief that they reject the gospel of Christ and the judgment of God. They are offended by the gospel because, well, it forgives sin. The devil cannot handle that. He hates the forgiveness of sins. Sin is the devil's only tool. That is his weapon against you. That is how he tempts you. That's how he drives you. That is how he deceives you. This is how he teaches you to love poorly, to think poorly, to lack faith in this life. He does not reply, mind replacing one sin with another so long as we remain in sin. Because in sin remains uh, in sin, we are separated from God. Anything that we say that is sin, that anything that will say that sin is, uh, or is a sin, is judged and freely forgiven, that's an offense to the devil. As we declare that God has died for sins, that Christ has forgiven each and every one of you, well, the devil finds that offensive and repulsive and repugnant. And so the devil will say, how dare you judge me? Yet it is not our judgment. It is God's. It is good. The Spirit of God reveals this goodness to us. As he convicts the world, he comforts us in this truth. And it's a comfort to those who believe in the gospel to hear about their sins. I know that sounds strange, but for those who believe in the gospel, it's comforting to know that they have sinned. It's comforting to have the truth revealed to them. Because once again, that forces us and drives us to the gospel. It drives us to the forgiveness of sins that we have in Christ. It convicts our hearts to remain in the gospel as we live in the comfort of the gospel. As our flesh scoffs and bargains and wrangles over sin, saying, I'm not that bad. The spirit rejoices in being convicted of sin and being shown the forgiveness of sins in Jesus. The spirit convicts the spirit rebukes the world concerning sin righteousness and judgment but as he does this he reveals the truth of the gospel of forgiveness that is achieved through the death and resurrection of jesus and the big question then how does the spirit go about convicting and reproving the world how does the spirit show and demonstrate this truth to us that's the big question where do we find the spirit of god working How does the spirit do these great things? How does the spirit work to convict the world and comfort sinners? And the answer is in our epistle lesson today. As St. James writes, he says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant witness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul." It's the implanted word of truth. That is where the Holy Spirit works. That is where the Holy Spirit plants faith, convicts sin, comforts sinners. It's the word of God that convicts the world. It's the word of God that comforts you. It's the word of God that gives you faith. It is the word of God that sets the truth right before our eyes. It's your Bible. It rescues you from unbelief. It cures you of self-righteousness. It comforts you with the good and gracious judgments of God. It sets eternal salvation before your eyes and plants it deeply into your heart it kills the old sinner and makes us alive again through faith in christ it gives you a new birth of water in the spirit it creates a clean heart within you it shows you your sin it reveals your savior james tells us to receive this word with meekness that means that as we stand in this world As we stand surrounded by temptation, as we stand tempted to self-righteousness, as we stand tempted to self-aggrandizement and all sorts of other things, we stand with meekness before the word of God. That means that we are humbled by the word of truth and we receive it in simple faith. And that faith is worked in us by the Holy Spirit of God. That means as the word declares and points out a deficiency or weakness in ourselves we say amen Lord thank you when the word points out uh, a sin that nags in our lives we say amen Lord Jesus and when the word of God declares your sins are forgiven you we say amen and Hallelujah, Lord Jesus thank you in the word the helper shows us Jesus in the word the paraclete reforms our lives he gives us saving faith in christ any belief work or action that is not built upon jesus will fall it will be corrupted by sin there's no doctrine that we confess no corporate work of the church and no individual work of piety that we can cling to apart from jesus christ alone he's the source of all goodness he's the source of all truth he is the source of all righteousness and holiness And that is what every word of the Bible teaches us. It is all about Jesus. It's all about his coming into the world, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascent into the Father, and his final judgment on the last day. It's all about what he saves us from and how he is even now recreating us and making us into new images of himself. And he makes us into new creations. He forms us into new people. He puts that old sinful flesh to death. He sets it aside. And as we live, as that old sinful flesh rears its ugly head, what does Christ do? Well, he crucifies it with the forgiveness of sins. He sets it aside through the daily waters and the washing of renewal of our holy baptism. He puts it to an end as he offers us his body and his blood to eat and drink he sets it aside as he says, this is no more. I have forgiven. I have paid for it. And though those dead works pop up in your life, though sin is an ever-present struggle for you, I have overcome it. It is judged. It is gone. And I am making you into a new person. St. Paul puts it this way. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is done by the forgiveness of sins. You are remade into something altogether different by the work of Jesus. He sends his spirit to both convict and to comfort you. He calls you to repentance and forgives your sins. He reveals the sin in your heart, in your mind, in your life, in your action. And then he says, I have taken that sin away from you. It's gone. It's forgiven. And as he does this, the Holy Spirit works to comfort us. And as that comfort lives in our lives, we sing a new song to the Lord. The song of righteousness of Christ, the forgiveness of sins, repentance and faith, enduring hope and everlasting life. The new song we sing to the Lord is all about Jesus. He is the new song that we sing. He is the life that exists within us. He is the new creation that boils up within our hearts and in our souls. It is in the life of Christ that we find life. As he lives within us, we live by faith in the gospel. We center our lives around the gospel. We gather together as God's Christians in the gospel. We find comfort in the gospel, rejoice in the gospel, and... We sing the gospel. We are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to save those who believe. Our lives are ordered and reordered around the gospel. It is the forgiveness of sins. That is our new song. That is our new life. That is what makes us into a new creation as God makes us and sings within us a new song. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Christ is is risen.